All right. Thank you, some of you who came back. The rest of you who've left, may the Lord bless you with your unholy restlessness. Who, Just while you are coming back, can I, can I just pitch quickly our North American equip next year? Uh, I think it's probably a little misunderstood. It's not an American one, it's North American. You say, oh, why do we need one together? Because we need to be together. Our plan originally, and we all planned, right, before the, something happened and the whole world shut down, was that we were going to have a global equip together, just to come together as people from around the world to cheer each other, worship, enjoy God, enjoy testimonies together and so on. And then COVID hit, so we moved it to 2021 to 22, eventually realized this is not going to happen. And so our next plan is 2025. Now just keep your diseases to yourself till after that, please. So 2025, we're still hoping to do another global equip where all the nations can come together. That's the plan. We'll see how it goes. But what we realized is that, that many of the regions and nations were like needing a big picture moment. We missed a bit of a moment. And so we said, well, why don't we pull some of the regions together rather than do one in each country? Why don't we bring regions together? So Europe... They had a, a, a French equip, but they opened it up to the whole of Europe. And so a lot of the guys went across from all over Europe. And it was this great moment together to just hear about what God's doing, to celebrate the kingdom together. And so they're going to do another one of Europe equipped next year. Not a regional, but a Europe for the whole region in uh, Holland. Uh, Australia, the New Zealanders were also pretty locked up. And so they were gonna, now they're going to join us in Australia next year. And some of the guys from Asia are going to come to that as well, from uh, Japan and from uh, Singapore and from Indonesia and all that. They're going to come and join us. And so I just pitched it to the guys and said, hey, man, what about the Canadians coming to, to, to join with us? It's not an American equip. It's a North American. And it's in Chicago because the only reasons in Chicago to make it easier for you to come to. All right. I don't like Chicago. I mean, I like Chicago, but... I mean, I'd rather just come to Denver, but we're trying to keep it as central for the Canadians. So if you don't come, we met there because of you not coming, all right? Now, I'm not, so it's, a, it's, a, it's a, not a U.S., it's not a Canadian, it's a North American equip. And it's in, uh, we're not going to have one here, we're not going to have one in the West Coast next year. We're going to have other stuff, but not an equip. Our equip's going to be in Chicago for North America, which is you guys. Okay, so please come. Save your money. You can drive there from here. I know it's a bit of a drive, but it's in the summer. Uh, it's pretty. It's America, and it's us, and, and we would love a representation. Let's, please, please can I ask you like this? I don't want it to be an American equip, but it will be if you don't come, and that's your fault, not mine. I'm not going to be able to call it a North American equip if you're not there. It's going to be a U.S. equip, but it's in your hands whether it's that or not. And you want a challenge? Pardon? The borders are open right now, just so you know. I'm here. Well, just, just come. We'll take care of you. Don't worry. Come. But trust for that and come and I believe they will be open, all right? And we trust for that. Start saving, start planning, get hosting. Uh, the guys will give you details. Uh, but we're not trying to just make it easier for America. We actually, there's a purpose to this to come together. And when the Mexicans heard about it, they're like, hey, we're coming too. So now we've got some of the Mexicans who are coming up to also be part of this. So it's going to be a good time, all right? I can promise you it's not Canadian. I mean, it won't be American if you guys come. But if a handful of you come, then it's going to probably dominant America. But it's almost as far for me as it is for you. So just so you know, come. You will. I see that hand. I see that hand. I raise that hand. I double that hand. You see that, Lord? Anyway, I, I, I hope you see the need to be together. That's what we're trying to do. Create an opportunity for us to come together as partners in the gospel and we just picked that place because they can host it. The venues are big enough. It's doable. And we would love you guys to be there. All right. Thank you very much. Um, uh, yeah, it does make you winter. Yeah, okay. We'll just move on. Um, 
So I, I, talking leadership, I'm trying to get to being Christ-like leadership. Can I just give you the headlines and then get to the Christ stuff, all right? So headlines means I'm giving you headlines with no explanation. So this is a friendship, not acquaintances, as I give you this. We need, we need, we need leaders called by God. We've said that. We, we need leaders convinced in the call. We've talked about we, we need leaders who can correctly handle the Word of God, which I so love what Dan was ministering yesterday. How many of you know it's one thing to preach the Word of God. It's another thing to correctly handle the Word of God. And for where we're called to go, we need people who can correctly handle God's Word the way God intended it to be when He said what He said in the context He said it. And so we really got to be making sure that we're doing that. Um, oh, Lord. I'll move on. I'm trying to stick to my word here. We need leaders who care. We need caring leaders. How many of you believe? <laughs> it's like we got very uncaring through the season. We don't care about anything except what we think. And I'm just telling you, God wants leaders to value the individual, not just the masses and the crowds, individuals. Um, and so we really do need to be caring. Are you growing in your care for each other? We, we need leaders who are consistent. Consistency. And we talked a little about David. But I want to ask you this, because the longer I'm in leadership, the more I'm convinced that most important leadership is self-leadership. So I'm going to ask you, and it's a how long's a piece of string question, but how well are you leading your life? We need leaders who are committed, not to each other, to the king and his kingdom. Commitment is a lacking word today, but how many of you know God's looking for leaders to be committed? Committers separate doers from dreamers. <laughs> Faithful, fruitful, and full of faith. That's what we need, committed leaders. We need people with credibility. We need leaders with credibility. We need people to say what they mean and mean what they say. I'm sorry it's so basic, but we need that. I've watched men and women present stuff that doesn't happen, not going to happen, and you're losing credibility. And we are called to lead God's people to this incredible inheritance, but it's hard for people to trust us when we make statements we never live by. It's a dangerous thing. If you say you're going to call me this week, best you call me this week. And if it's oversight of administration, apologize rather than pretend it didn't happen. Because what I've watched is we say, I'm going to call you this weekend, and then we get up and preach and say, we're going to take the world for Jesus. But people say, I don't know if I can trust what you're saying because you didn't call me this week. You say, oh, it's a simple thing. It's credibility, dear friend. It's a big deal. If we take up offerings for certain things and we don't use these offerings for those certain things, credibility is on the line. Administration oversight. No, credibility. So let's say what we mean and mean what we say. We need leaders like that. We need leaders who are connected and are contributing. I'm going to say this. I think leaders should be the most generous people in the church. We should still arm wrestle each other when we go to lunch, if we go to lunch, of who's paying. And if you don't end up paying, you find a way to get that money back to the person who paid. Not because you buy legalism, because you don't expect others to pay for you whenever you go out. Why? Because we want to set an example of generosity. Not legalism. And I know we get a bit beyond and it's crazy and we tear each other's credit cards and we fight each other. <laughs> and people are like, what is wrong with you? But I, I would rather that than, oh, gee, sorry, I left my wallet, you know? <laughs> the Christian hucker, where's my wallet, where's my wallet, yeah? <laughs> I, I, I know that things are tough for us financially, but I want to just tell you this. Leaders should be the most generous people in the church. You want a generous church? Be generous. God cannot multiply what you haven't sown. We need leaders who are confident, not in themselves, but in what God's called them to, which we've talked about. Which means this, friends, we are open-handed, not micromanaging. This kingdom cannot be micromanaged. You can either structure the church for control or for growth, but not for both. We need leaders who are growing in capacity. How many of you know that? It's not I'm there, I'm growing in my capacity. As things change, as God calls us to more, He wants to grow our capacity. And I loved what uh, Minda preached on Isaiah 54. Great truth. 
But it's all of us. None of us are there. There's more for us, and it requires us to grow in our capacity. Cultural carriers. I believe that leaders are cultural carriers. In other words, we are the thermometer, uh, thermostat, not the thermometer. Note that if you truly are a leader, you're not there to pick up the temperature. You're there to create the temperature. And you're creating it even if you're not creating it. That's why just for a moment, those of us who are ordaining elders, you better know that those elders have been given that God-given right to create the temperature. And if they're not creating the temperature, then why are you making them elders? We need chemistry. I, I don't know how else to say that. It's awesome that God's called you, but God's called you to do it with people not like you. And somehow the calling gets lost because we can't work with people not like us. Chemistry is essential. Straight up, friends. And I don't want to get stuck on this because I'm, I'm trying to honor my word of giving you the headlines. But if you can't work as a team, it's very hard to have you on team. You're like, why am I not being promoted? Because you don't know how to play team. Work as a team. Work it out. Don't allow your personality or your quirks or even your, your desires to get in the way of what's best for everyone. I mean, I, I look at the calling of certain people and then when you bring them through or bring them on, it upsets the whole work. Why? Because it's not, chemistry is essential. It really is. I, I, we need you to be united but diverse. Strength in teams is this authenticity and transparency must be two key core values of any team that plans on working hard for the long haul. We're transparent, but we're also authentic. We work stuff out. We've got to give a lot of attention to making that a high priority to maintain our friendships and relationships. Am I making sense? We all have to adjust to make space. I mean, I don't want to tell you my story, but this team I lead, this is just a few of the hundreds that are so different to me, it's irritating. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, the way they say things, the way I do things, I'm like, I would not say that. I definitely would not have done that. And everything in me is like, okay, well, I'll just go and do it. And then you read scriptures. And no, actually, we're one team. We reflect different ways. We don't allow personalities to get in the way. We are a team who focus on the king for his kingdom. Therefore, we work together. But we work together. We don't pretend to work together with issues in our heart. We need those who are carrying the load together. We need leaders who carry the load. To have a team means you have a team, right? And it's not to have a team, it's to carry the load. So I watch people bring people on and then they end up still doing everything. I'm like, why do you have that team? Well, they're on my team. Yeah, but why are you doing everything? Well, I'm the leader. No, no, you have a team. Just want you to know there's a reason for the team. It's not to have a team. To use your team in God to do the job God's called you to. We need leaders who can communicate with clarity. Communication is key, right? But we need clarity. You don't have to be a great preacher, but you've got to be able to communicate with clarity. When people listen to you, when you make declarations, let it bring clarity rather than confusion. I believe the very essence of leadership is that you have vision. Can I say you cannot blow an uncertain trumpet? It's got to be clear. Not that you know it all, but there's a clarity when you speak. We need leaders like that, friends. There's so much confusion right now. I believe God wants us to learn to communicate with clarity. Let me just say this. Over-communicate. Say it again. <laughs> say it again. Oh, we've heard this. Say it again. When you're raising children, you don't say it once. Oh, I only speak once. Try that. <laughs> I've spoken once. Well, good luck. If you're not speaking, someone else is speaking to your kid. You say it again, and you say it again, and you say it again. My 20-year-old son was kicking the football in our basement again. And I went down there, I was like, Josh, I have told you for 20 years. And he's like, yeah, I remember, Dad, I forgot, sorry. I'm like, if you break something, you're going to pay for it. I don't want you kicking the ball in the house. I don't want you throwing the ball in the house. Go outside. It's cold, Dad, yeah, but in my house, son. I'm like, the 20 years, say it again. If I stop saying it, he's going to start kicking the ball again. I'm being serious. And we're like, oh, I've said it to the church once. No, friend, say it again. 
People lose their way when they lose their why. You better tell them why if you want people to show up into what we're doing. Say it again. And because you as leaders discuss it in a leaders meeting, doesn't mean your people know what you're talking about when you stand up and tell them what we're doing. Say it again. Say it again. Say it again. Say it again. Keep saying it. Repetition is a great teacher. We need leaders who can read and understand seasons. Not just for their people, but for their own lives. Which means we're able to honor the past, but also embrace the future. Honor the past, but embrace the future. Some of us dishonor the past the way we embrace the future. Or some of us are so honoring of the past, we're not embracing the future. But we need leaders who can do both. Honor the past, but embrace the future. We need leaders who understand their commission. I know guys get irritated with me, but I would not ordain leaders into a leadership team if they don't have a passport. People say, well, shoot, where's that in the Bible? Acts chapter 1 verse 8. It's in there. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes and you'll be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Try going to the uttermost parts of the earth without a vaccine, not a vaccine, without a Passport. Vaccine passport. I'm not talking about vaccine passport. I'm talking about passports. I'm serious. People say to me, well, you're dating this guy. First question I ask is, do you have a passport? Not so you can travel, get out of your country, because you've got a heart for the nations. Wow, it's a local church responsibility. They're coming onto a local team. Yeah, with a heart for the world, if we're kingdom, and if you're going to come on and you have never traveled, you're not interested, it's like your thing, you go, you're going to hamstring that church from the call of God, friend. Yeah. Okay. Whew. That's what I believe, biblically. Elders need passports because elders need to be traveling, taking the gospel to the uttermost part because you will set the tone in your local church, not by what you say, by what you do. And to what I came to say, we need Christ-like leaders, leaders who are more like Jesus. That's the most important thing of what I've come to say. But I left it to last. I can, just for the next few moments, try and unpack this. I believe the true measurement of a church is its likeness to Christ. I believe we need leaders who are marked by the living presence of Jesus that inspires others to bold faith. We need example leaders. We need servant-hearted leaders. We need leaders who are submitted to Jesus. We need leaders who are obsessed with Jesus. We need leaders who are more like Jesus. We need leaders who are following Jesus. It's incredible in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, a very well-worn text Noted text, and it's in, uh, it says this. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Some versions say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That is a pretty audacious statement to be made. And what he's saying is, don't follow me blindly. I believe what he's saying is, follow me as much as I'm following Jesus. And he was able to say, follow me as I follow Jesus. Do you want to know why? Because he was following Jesus. And I listened and I've watched and I've said, follow me as I follow Jesus. But I'm following my book, my vision, my revelation, my, my, my. And people say, I'm following Jesus. They're not because the pastor they lead or the person who's leading them isn't following Jesus. So don't blindly just follow people because they say they're following Jesus. Be a follower of Jesus. And as much as your leaders are following Jesus, follow them. But when they stop following Jesus, Follow Jesus, don't follow them. Those that we started this morning, that John chapter 1, they left John to follow Jesus. That's the testimony we've got to have. We need leaders who are more like Jesus, not replacing Jesus, pointing people to Jesus because of the way they lead and live. It's a pretty audacious statement, I think, to make to the average modern-day church leader today. It presupposes that the things I spend my time doing, if carefully imitated, 
would have a kingdom-revealing effect. It presumes a level of spiritual integrity that is wide open to personal inspection and private scrutiny. It's not what I do in the pulpit. It's not who I am at a meeting. It's my private life is open for people to have a look, to scrutinize, and to watch. And it's for It's so real, it's so true that when I'm investigated, I will be found guilty of being a follower of Jesus. Not talking about him, not referencing him, not singing to him in these gatherings. But as you study and watch and look and scrutinize our lives, we will be absolutely found guilty. That person truly is a follower of Jesus. That's what Paul was saying. How many of you know we need that? Friends, we need that. We need to come back to Christ-like leaders who can truly say, I'm not the focus he is, but follow me as we focus on the focus and my life will represent Jesus Christ. It's lacking, I believe, in the church today. Much is said about the marks of effective leaders in the church today. What's missing? Lost among all the voices is the assumed, but I think most often neglected foundation of all ministry and leadership. Our daily call, our day calls for a resurgence of Christ-like leadership. Leaders known not first for their great compelling gifts, their communication style, the way they communicate, their charismatic giftings, their books, their podcasts, their followers, their likes, their YouTube channels, Even for their influential leadership, more than all that, they need to be known for the fact that they are being continually shaped by Jesus Christ. Here's a few clear ways we can tell humility. Humility. See, Christ-like leaders reject prideful posture. And they give preference to humble, empowering leadership that seeks to promote the best for others. It's worthy of note that the early apostles took pride in nothing other than Jesus. Another clear evidence is serving, service. Christ-like leaders will pour themselves out in burden-bearing relationships that models love in action, not talked about, lived out. They model their king by laying aside their claims to power and privilege. And pour themselves out in selfless deeds of service that only God can see. They don't do it for the people. They do it for the king. Another evidence is courage. Humility, service, courage. How many of you know we need courage like never before? God's people need courageous leaders, friends. We it's, it's going to, I love how Mark was talking yesterday about swimming upstream and all that. I mean, I'm just thinking, gosh, it's not even about having the strength. It's the courage just to stand in what we believe. The stuff I've said to you today can get me in serious trouble in some countries, but it's in the scriptures and we've just got to stick to God's plan. To lead God's people in the seas is going to take courage. Not to, you can shout louder and be more. It's understanding. And you know who gives you courage? Jesus. It's not a feeling. It's not something that comes on you. It's a revelation of Christ that I either stand for Him or I stand against Him. Take your decision. Make your decision. Courage. Christ-like leaders take risks that are unexplainable, friends, apart from Christ leading. I love what uh, Gary's prophetic picture, dream, Normandy. On my own. No one there. Where are you? Angels, people coming. Courage. I'm with you. That's courage. Not like, let's go and do something for the Lord. It's standing strong in the face of opposition, but it's going to take a people who know Jesus Christ. There's stuff we've been called that is beyond us. There's stuff that makes no sense. It's unexplainable. The decisions we're making in these moments don't make sense, but we're doing it because we're following someone called Jesus. unexplainable, apart from Christ leading. There's stuff I've been doing that make no sense to no one, except I'm simply following Jesus. 
We're attuned to the activity of the Spirit and take courageous steps into uncharted territory regardless of the cost. Now, you might not agree with me, but I listen to people talk about the cost and the whole thing of weigh up the cost. No one builds a house before they understand the cost. Now, I understand that, but may I suggest, when I came to follow Jesus, the cost was counted. I don't have to every project weigh the cost. When I came to Christ, I weighed the cost. Follow me or don't follow me. And Jesus is pretty radical. If you just read Jesus' teaching on fellowship, it, it needs to be brought back. And Jesus went up to, and a man came to him and said, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, foxes have holes, uh, dens, birds have nests, but the, the Son of God has nowhere to lay his hands. What's he saying? You have no idea where I'm going. I'm on my way to Jerusalem to die. I'm going to get betrayed, I'm going to get beaten, I'm going to get persecuted, and I'm going to get killed on the crucified, on the cross. You've got no idea. He didn't say, yeah, come follow me, I'll make it. He said, you have no idea. Following me is uncomfortable. If that wasn't bad enough, he goes to the next dude on his way and he says to him, Jesus says to that guy, come follow me. And he said, first let me go and bury my father. Most people say, don't go to funerals. That's not what he was saying. He wasn't on his way to his dad's funeral. What he was saying is, I'm waiting for my father to die so I can receive my earthly inheritance and wealth. And when I get that, then I will come follow you. Many of us do that. Let me first sort things out here, then I'll get on with things out there. And Jesus knew this is an urgent request. It's not going to happen. If you don't respond now, you'll never respond. Urgent. Let the dead bury the dead. You go and proclaim my kingdom. There's an urgency. What kind of Jesus does that? A one who understands. Following Jesus, no joke. <laughs> Another man comes to Jesus in that text and says, hey, I'll follow you, but let me first go and say goodbye to my parents. I mean, just as a dad, and a, yeah, my boys best come say goodbye to me before they take off with some other dude. <laughs> and he said, no. No man who puts his hand to the plow and looks back, is worthy of my life, is worthy of me. What was he saying? You can't follow him, keep looking back what you've left. You know, pioneering's come up a bit here. Let me tell you the challenge for us. If you, here's how you know, and I don't want to put you in a box, I want to liberate you this morning. This is how you know whether you're a pioneer or not. If you always talk about the price, you're probably a settler. If you always talk about the privilege, you're probably a pioneer. Now, you can change. But if you're always talking about the price you've paid, what you've left to get, and, and listen, everyone in this room has paid a price. And I know that people have paid major price. You've left everything. But if your go-to message is the price you've paid, I want to suggest you're probably in danger of settling. That's why when God said to Lot and Lot's wife, Lot's wife looked back. You remember the story and turned into a pillar of salt? Man, listen, I don't think it's because she looked back going, well, I want to see what happens there. That's like Star Wars on steroids, that. I, I would be looking back going, jeez, I want to see what's happening over there. She didn't look back to see. She looked back because she's longing for what she left. I'm not saying you can't have a heart of where you've left, but you can't long for what you've left and think you can keep pioneering. And some of us who are <laughs> half glass full need to calm down a bit and realize there is a price. My wife, Nicole, she's the, she's the most precious, inside and out, beautiful, honestly, she, I'm not saying that, I mean that. Like, I, I, she's unbelievable. And she's American, so you put that together, I don't know. But she's Italian too, and she's... Lebanese and Portuguese and I married the nations. I just said, all right, come lady, let's get married. But, but Nicole is such a precious, she, she, she really is. I mean, she, if it wasn't for her, I, I know before God I would not be walking in what I am. 
She's a most gracious wife. To me, she just frees me, keeps me free. But I tell you about my wife is that she does have a, she's paid a price. Being married to me is no joke. And we've traveled and we've moved and we've relocated. We just keep relocating, leaving. And not because I'm bored, because we got a call. If she had known what she's saying yes to, she would have said no. And so would I have, just so you know. But God didn't tell us. We just said yes. But there have been times in our wonderful 25 years of marriage where it's been difficult, believe it or not. And it's been because I have been this privilege of our lives. She's seen the price. And we've clashed. I remember being on a trip and I traveled and it was, it's not, we never travel alone. It's not good. And I was on a trip and I was getting, walking through some terrible moments in our ranks in transition. People, my friends were turning. I mean, it was just a moment that I'm glad is over, but it was necessary for us to be who we are today. And, and I remember going to Europe and to, I was in Australia based there. We were leading a church. I traveled to Europe. I got beat. I went to Asia. I got beaten by my friends turning. We don't need a team. We don't want a team. We don't need a leader. And I'm just sitting there going, whoa, okay, whatever. I remember flying home after a few weeks. And I, I, forgive me, you single people. I just needed some love from my wife. And I walked into our house and my wife had no love for me there. Because she saw the price of taking care of these kids who are unhappy, want their dad, the church we were part of, were giving her a few little issues. And she's like, you out there having a ball, traveling the world, hanging with your mates. You have no idea, lady. And I'm stuck here. And this is the thing. And, and I was like, babe, this is our thing. And this is a privilege. And now just give me some love. And she's like, I ain't giving you nothing, son. And I'm like, whoa, come on now. And she's like, you always talk about a privilege. I need you once to acknowledge there's a price. And I realized, I said, babe, this has cost us everything. I've lost everything. Family, We've relocated. I've lost all my money. I've lost my career. It's cost us everything. I've left. I've missed all my son's birthdays. I've missed our anniversary. Yes, it's cost us everything. She said, that's all I needed to hear. Suddenly. <laughs> but I, I want to tell you why I tell you that story. Because in that moment, those of us who are all about the privilege need to realize there is a price and we better talk at times about the price. If you want price people to buy into privilege, you best remind them you know there's a price. But those of you who are only about the price, honestly, come back to understanding the privilege. It's both. I don't know how we got to this. What am I doing? Risk? I don't know. Anyway, courage. I don't know. Love your wives and enjoy it, okay? Am I making sense? No, I hope my wife is incredibly honored in the story because she's the most incredible woman. And when, when she has an issue, it's very seldom, which is, yeah, I'll just leave it there. It's not, not normal. Just leave it as that. She's very uncomplicated. So when she has something to say, I need to listen. But I also want to tell you, if I lived where she wanted us to live all the time, we would have missed what God had. We're good for each other. And I want to say we need pioneers who realize Christ, but also we need to realize this is the privilege of our lives. There's no greater privilege in serving Christ the way we call to serve Him. And those of you who've paid a price, honestly, thank you for paying that price. And maybe nobody's seen that. There's many people, just can I honor international people here this morning, who've relocated. You must say to get out of another country. No, to come and serve God's purpose here, you've given up everything. And, and I want to acknowledge, well done. Even if you're not welcomed in this nation, well done saying yes to the call of God. But I want to tell you this. If you focus on what you've left, you've got no hope of reaching the people here. You didn't do it for them. You didn't do it for this country. You, didn't, you did it for Jesus. That's your privilege. So thank you for paying the price, giving it everything. But you're living in the absolute privilege of the will of God. There's no sweeter and greater opportunity for anyone. Courage. 
If you follow Jesus, vision is so clear, it takes more courage not to obey. Another sign is boldness. Boldness. Courage and boldness are not the same thing. Courage and boldness go hand in hand, but they're not the same thing. And I believe a fruit of genuinely being shaped by Jesus is being a courageous person, but also a bold leader. And I believe these four, humility, service, courage, and boldness, they're linked together. Boldness without humility creates leaders who say the right thing, but in a manner or tone that repels rather than compels people. Courage without service produces leaders who are willing to take risks, but to do so in a way that communicates that the outcome of the task is more important than the people the project is designed to serve. The combination of these character virtues, I believe, is a compelling answer to the church leadership crisis that we face in the world today. Following Jesus, personally, is what this is all about. And let me say this, Jesus is always going somewhere. So my fellowship with be, will be distinguished by the fact, please hear this, that I am moving into places that I might never go if I were left to my own devices. We are not defaulting to where we would go. We are going to places we would never go if it were not be us following Jesus. That's how you know if you're truly following Jesus. Not making us feel bad. I'm asking us to truly be more like Christ. And also like Jesus, I don't go alone, but I inspire others to pattern me. And unfortunately, if I can just, an indictment on the church today, and as a leader I say this. Unfortunately, in today's church, we build our discipleship models with the expectation of motionless followers following a passionless reduction of a missionary Jesus. We need to fix it by coming back to simply being followers of Jesus. Christ-like, like Christ. So Christ-like leaders, here's what I came to say. Number one, will sacrifice. They carry a cross. I love Paul's writings. I love reading about the book of Acts. I, I, honestly, I, but I want to tell you, do yourself a favor. Go read the Gospels again if you want to catch the Christ way of doing things. The Gospels are Christ in action. And I want to suggest that all Scripture is important, but the Gospels matter most if we want to be more like Christ. Go read the Gospels again and see, not WWJD, what would Jesus do? Remember we used to wear those, I'm giving in the 90s or whatever, WWJD, and we all had those, and people say, what does that mean? Ah, oh, what would Jesus do? I mean, with all due respect, around your arm, how about in your heart? And can I suggest, that was a wrong question. Not what would Jesus do. How about what did Jesus do? Because what would Jesus do? We can determine. I don't think Jesus would have said that. Well, who cares what you think? What did he say? I've got people saying to me, I try, you know, if Jesus were, he wouldn't have said what you just said. Well, that's the Jesus you think. You'll reduce Jesus from a Canadian perspective. <laughs> I have a reduced American Jesus to what I think Jesus should be because we turn everything into business. That's why Dan should be an American because he's selling his podcast or his <laughs> app. And Paul, he's a realtor. He sells houses, so he talked on homes. Do you see that? Do you see that? These Americans know how to sell things, trust me. Sorry, that was a joke. I'm only kidding. Well, I'm not, but I'm, but I'm seriously. I, I don't want to mock, but we could have reduced view of Jesus. So we say, well, what would Jesus do? Well, I don't think he'd get involved in that. Well, I think, no, he would. He would be in the White House calling down the devil and calling down angels and beating everybody who cheated the system. <laughs> he would be overthrowing the government. That's what Jesus would do, because that's what I've been taught. And then I dare read the Gospels, and he never even brought the government into a discussion. 
And just so you know, while I'm here, now I'm really in trouble. But honestly, because I've looked at this, because I live in America, right? I've said that. America, we got some opinion, and we are so linked to government, and it has to be good. So are you Canadians, but let's talk about my country. And, and so I'm like, yeah, you've got to overthrow governments and vote them out and get rid of them. And then Jesus, do you know, <laughs> the things we're facing today, the Jews, God, Jesus' people faced way worse than us. In actual fact, they were forbidden to worship. They weren't allowed to go to the, to, to the uh, temple. They weren't allowed. I mean, they control the giving money to, uh, the, to Rome. Rome treated Jesus' people like trash. Worse than North Korea. Read the Bible. I know it's offensive what I'm saying. Read it. And you know where see Jesus say, okay, I'm going to overthrow this dude. And so Jesus walks this earth. And I mean, the Jews couldn't believe this was the Messiah because he didn't overthrow the government. He came in and he said, no, we're going to bring my kingdom. And my kingdom is going to operate under this controlled kingdom because my kingdom can function anywhere, anytime. And the kingdom I have is like nothing here on earth. And one day the kingdoms of this earth will become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ and he will reign forevermore. But it doesn't require an overthrow of government for the church to now function. It's the kingdom of God to function anywhere, anytime under any governance because he's not stuck to a White House or a politician. He's got his people functioning. That's why the majority of people said he can't be Jesus. He can't be the Messiah because he didn't come and save us. And even when that guy came to arrest him, remember, and he cut the guy's ear off and he said, no, no, we don't do that. Heal. Why? Because my kingdom's not like this kingdom. We've got to hear this, friend. I don't want to fight you on politics. I'm just telling you, you'll never win when you get into politics. We've got a job to do. To advance the kingdom, not overthrow governments. I'm talking about America, not us, you guys. I don't know how we got on this. Gee, I'm getting into trouble. Are we acquaintances again? I can tell. Okay, that's cool. I'll become your friend in a minute. I'm not fighting you on this, all right? Please don't come fight me. I'm asking you if I'm wrong, read Scripture, and if I'm wrong, don't listen to me. But I am saying read the Scriptures. Because I think that other fight I would rather be in. Because I'm American. And we got some stories on what should happen. And I'm not saying that, I'm not saying don't vote. I'm just saying every four years, every two years, here we go again. And I watched the shaking of the faith of the church because they didn't get the right person or they did get the person. And even the right person is the wrong person. And it's just, it's not. <laughs> Why do we have to lose our faith every four years? <laughs> do you know, I was born in Rhodesia, which is now Zimbabwe. I'm not trying to tell you my story, but it's one of, it used to be the most controlled nation in the world, if not, well, one of. A dictator of note led that nation. And let me tell you this. Our churches thrived. They struggled with stuff, but the kingdom was not held back. God doesn't need the right leader for the church to do what he wants to do. He wants his church to do what he wants the church to. <laughs> Am I going to come back one day? Are you coming? Come to Chicago. We can help you there. All right. Christ-like leaders will sacrifice. They will carry a cross. They will carry a cross. Luke chapter 14. Let's quickly read Luke 14, verse 25 to 33. It says, the cost of being a disciple. It says, large, Luke 14, large crowds were traveling, verse 25, with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me, does not hate <laughs> his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and his sister. Yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Luke 14, verse 28. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if it has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him. Saying this, fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Verse 31, or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. 
Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has, he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but what is when it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? If it is fit, uh, sorry, it is fit neither for the soil nor for the, man, the manure pile, it is thrown out. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, now let me just say, radical, radical statement. Being a serious follower of Jesus requires total commitment. This passage, I think, is one of the most valuable teachings about discipleship. It contains, verse 33 contains the most essential statement that Jesus ever made to his believers. He says, you cannot be my disciple three times in verse 26, verse 27, and verse 33. Cannot be. Don't try be. It's impossible to be. How many of you know it's trying to be something that's impossible when Jesus is impossible is a waste of time. And that's what Jesus was saying. He's basically saying that word cannot is a compound word, just so you know, Dan, in the Greek. <laughs> it is the work, the words Oak, O-U-K. I knew that before your app. Oak, O-U-K, dunamai, dunamis. Oak, dunamai, dunamis. The Greek word oak means not, and the word dunamis means power or ability. Not ability, not power. If you don't, what he said, hate or lay down everything, you cannot. No ability, no power to be my disciple. I mean, you, you can try, you can give it a go, you can try the Jesus thing, you can tag Jesus on, you can make it about Jesus, you can sing to him, we can talk about him, but you cannot... No ability, oak, no power, ability. It's impossible to be a follower of Jesus. Don't try it three times if you're not willing to give up everything. Isn't that radical? We get people saved. Try Jesus, give him a go if I'm wrong. You know, we go and witness. I love it. I say, hey, like, I want to tell you about Jesus. I don't believe this. And I say, well, here's the thing, bro. Just try. If I'm wrong, you lose nothing. If I'm right, you get to heaven. All right, I'll try the Jesus. What do I have to say? Be my Lord, Savior. Great. And they go back to their lives. They're going straight to hell, just so you know. I'm sorry. He didn't say, try me, give me a go. If you dig it, it's going to work. If not, go back to your own life. He said, it's impossible to be my disciple, my follower. No power and ability if you're not willing to give it all up for me. I didn't say this, Jesus did. Now, I know this is harsh, but we need followers of Jesus. There's a towel, a cro- I mean, there's a cross. There's a sacrifice in following Jesus. It's not always sacrificial to be a churchgoer or even a church leader, but to follow Jesus, it's going to cost. If we're not willing, we've got no power or ability to be. Three marks of a serious follower of Jesus, what he says here, no rivals. Don't hate your family and say it's because of Jesus. He's not saying hate your family. He's saying no rivals. Nothing should rival the position he carries in our lives. No one, no ministry, no people, no children. Friends, that's a big challenge for parents. Spouses, you don't leave your spouse, but Jesus takes center stage in everything. No refusal. No rivals, no refusal, verse 27. Take up a cross. No retreat. I believe only, please hear this, only when there has been no rivals, no refusal, no retreat in our life can we come to the end of our lives and say no regrets. No retrieval. No refusal, no rivals. We will come to the end of our lives saying, no regrets. Second thing 
We see, not only are we called to sacrifice, carry a cross, we're called to serve. <laughs> we carry a towel. This is leadership. This is Christ-like leadership. John chapter 13. Let's read quick. We've got a few minutes left. John 13 verse 1, it says, It was just before the Passover feast, and Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Verse 2, it says, The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his feet, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into the basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter, I replied, just not my feet, my hands and my head as well. Wash all of me. I want to be a part of you. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs not only to wash his feet, his whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. Interesting how he said that, knowing Judas was sitting there. For he knew, oh, here we go. He knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not every one of you was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked. You call me teacher and Lord and rightfully so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This passage, I think, helps us understand a serious follower of Jesus will possess a heart of a servant. Now, I, I listen to guys say we need to be more servant-hearted. If you want to be more like Christ, then you'll have a heart of a servant. Jesus is in the shadow of the cross, and he's teaching these valuable lessons because he, they matter. Before he dies, he wants this followers to realize what this is about. He said, I came not to be served. I've come to serve. So you see the awareness of Jesus in chapter, uh, verse 1 to 3. Interesting, Jesus knew that the time had come. He understood the time of this moment. And friends, it's part of following Jesus. It's part of even being able to understand carrying a tell and to, 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 to serve others is understand the season, the time you're in. Jesus understood the time. He knew about something. He knew what he did. What did he know? The timing of the Father had come. He would depart. He was going to die. And he had authority over all things, yet he was not a victim. He was a victor. He knew what was in the heart of the man. Verse 11. Understanding what Jesus knew is essential to understanding what he did. He knew the time was right. He knew what he needed to do. So, he was aware of the timing. The second thing we see, the activity of Jesus. This blows my mind. The four verbs describe his activity. He got up. He took off. He wrapped a towel. He washed the feet. And then he returned to his place. These present, present tense actions described his entire life. He got up from his throne in glory. He took off the robe of deity. He wrapped himself in the flesh of humanity. He washed away our sins with his blood. And my dear friends, he returned to his heavenly throne. It was the pattern of his life, and he described it and showed it to his disciples before he died. It's awesome to say, I want to be like Jesus. It's awesome to say, we need more Christ-like leaders. This is what it means to represent Christ. Wow. The aim of Jesus, verse 12, he taught them something valuable following him. He spoke on lessons on holiness, verse 8 and 9. 
He said, you're not washing me. You're not washing my feet. He said, no, no, you need to wash everything. If He was teaching this thing of holiness. And he was reminding us about the hypocrite of uh, Judas. You're all clean, except one of you. The one who will betray me, you're not clean. Isn't that amazing? You're a hypocrite sitting at my table. You're, but I'm still going to honor you, but you're not clean. It's amazing. Sorry, I'm getting lost here because I just, it overwhelms me this when I read this. Lesson of hypocrisy, don't be like Judas. There's a lesson of humility. It's interesting in Luke chapter 22, 24 and 27, tells us the disciples argued over the issue of greatness. They were far from the ministry of the tale. They were fighting about who's going to be the greatest. It's like they forgot. But according to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 and 6, Peter learned the lesson that night when he said, what did he say? God uh, opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. It's almost like Peter reminded, submit yourselves unto God. Resist, uh, now what does he say? First uh, Peter chapter 5, God, yeah, under the mighty hand of God and he will lift you up. It's, like, it's almost like Peter, they argued stuff, but then he remembered this night when he said, humble yourselves. I, I don't know. I just feel for us, in your high positions in God and in the church, remember what Jesus did. Don't allow people to make you king or give you a position. Just be reminded how Jesus did what he did as an example of what it means to be Christ-like. It'll save our ministries and it will help people see Jesus. The third thing, and third and final thing, was surrender, carry his yoke. Sacrifice, carry a cross. Serve, carry a towel. Thirdly, surrender, carry his yoke. Matthew 11, verse 28. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. You'll find rest for yourselves. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We need to know that there is a yoke and there is a burden. But the yoke is easy and the burden is light, is what Jesus was telling us. And so there are three commands in this text. Come, take, learn. Come, take, learn. The invitation into partnership, come. There's an invitation into partnership. Friends, if we're going to serve like Christ, we need to understand we are in partnership with Christ. Come. We partner with the inexhaustible one who knows our hurts, our pains, and our failures. We are to be yoked to Jesus, not to the church. In Him. It's not an invitation of bondage, but one of liberty. Come to me in partnership. The second thing is the purpose of the yoke. Take the purpose. Irony, we find freedom in responsibility. It's interesting, an empty ship, not loaded one, is a blown ashore in a storm. A loaded one stays the course. Empty ships blow away. We need the yoke when you yoke to Jesus, you anchor to the one who cannot be blown and tossed by the storms and demands of life. To be yoked with Jesus requires submission and surrender. And my goodness, have we heard about that this week. Friends, it's essential. You want to be more like Christ? You've got to be yoked to Christ. And the third thing we see is the power of the yoke. Learn. Learn. What do we learn? The art of lifting and pulling in partnership with Jesus. The importance of being on a team. The supernatural power of synergy. There's no other joy like being in yoke with Jesus. It's not a burden. It's a privilege. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's not a moment. It's a lifestyle of coming back to that day in and day out. It's interesting that Jesus doesn't say, set out to show us, I said this, a path to follow. 
Jesus says, I am the path. Follow me. I want to tell you this. Following Jesus is personal. It's not caught from someone else. It's not through someone else. Following Jesus is personal. It's personal. As a leader in the church, I'm so delighted that while I have a role to play, people can't blame me for their relationship anymore with Jesus. I've met people in this nation and in this region who've tried church, went to church, been let down by leaders, don't like the church, don't like leaders, and I understand it. But for that to happen to us in this room should never happen again. If you understand, your relationship with Jesus is not based on your leaders in the church. It's not based on anyone other than you. So no more excuses of blaming others. Your walk with Jesus, your walk with Jesus. If it's messed up, it's no one's fault but yours. It's not his fault. He's waiting. Come on. He's done it all. He wants this relationship, but we blame others. Your walk, your walk. It's personal. It's not linked to anyone else. You fall out of the race, I'll grieve with you, but I'm not falling out of the race. Why? My king, my Lord, my follower. I'm following Jesus. It's personal. Oh, it's me and Jesus. Yeah, it's public. Because it's personal, it's not private, it's public. It's personal, but public. What good is a love affair or this affair that I have with Jesus if it's a private thing that no one gets to see? We should so be walking with Jesus, be like Jesus, that it's attractive to others. So while it's personal, it's public. Do people even know, not that you're a churchgoer, that you belong to Jesus and that you're following Jesus? Do people who encounter you as a local church or listen to you speak, do they hear about Jesus or the great ministries you carry in your church and the great giftings you carry? Or is it Jesus, all Jesus, only Jesus? (laughs) It's personal. It's public. There's a price. It's precious. There's no greater call than to be a follower of Jesus. It's worth it. Now anything, we value things based on what they cost. The value of something is what we were willing to pay for it, right? I I look at some guy's painting, with all due respect, are you nuts? I can give you that for half that price. But there's something you're willing to pay. Because to you, that thing, I'm willing to... Why? Because you understand art. I've got no idea. But the more you pay for something, the more valuable it is. Yet when it comes to our walk with Jesus, we claim it's everything, but we're not willing to pay for it because it's hard work. He carries no value if we're not willing to lay it all down for him. Doesn't make sense, friends. People think we, we, we... we say we value the Lord, yet we're not willing to give our lives for Him. And people think, how can you claim to value someone you're not willing to? Surely. And this is not a harsh thing. Following Christ will cost you everything, but He's so valuable. That's why we're willing to give everything. So I just want to encourage us. Practice the presence of Jesus. Abide in Him. Revel in Him. Revere Him. Spend time with Jesus. Enjoy Jesus. It's the greatest privilege we have is to pursue Jesus. It all starts there. We've heard that this week. It's birth there. It belongs there. It's all there. Keep on serving and finding. Practice the presence of Jesus every day. Secondly, practice the presence of being a servant. Practice being a servant. And lastly, practice encountering all people through the lenses that Jesus died for those people. Actually believe the people you despise, the people that hate you, the people that are making our nation what we don't want it to be, whatever your thing is, treat those people like Jesus actually died for them. Because I want to tell you, he did. And if we would engage people like Jesus actually did die for them because they're that valuable, we would be far more Christ-like to them and we probably would be far more fruitful and effective 
if we looked at every individual in this nation and the unreached nations and say, Jesus died for them. Practice his presence, practice being a servant, practice treating people like Jesus died for them. And we will be Christ-like. Not liked, like. And that, my friends, I believe is what God's calling his people to come back to. Let's close our eyes if we can. I realize this is hugely challenging. I get that. I'm challenged. Remember that, right? Preachers don't preach the word. They get the word preached to them while they preach it. It's a mirror, the word of God. Not a lens, a mirror. But we can give you principles, and here's the book, and more leadership skills, and John Bevere's mesh books, and forgive me, I love him, and whoever else your guy is, and John Maxwell's leadership principle. I'm not anti any of that. And we can actually... Be more like Jesus with those truths. Just follow Jesus. And Lord, I pray for my friends in this room. We all carry different positions, maybe even in the local church. But we've established we are all leaders. We've all been given influence. I ask, Lord, like John, that we would behold, stand in awe and be amazed. That we are such a current and real testimony of Jesus in our lives. That when people hear us, see us, they'll follow Jesus. May we not be known for great giftings and anointings. Great names and great speakers and great communicators and charismatic gifts and all good things. But may we simply be known that we are like Jesus. I ask that, Lord. May we humble ourselves to that place again. Simply follow you. Reflect you. Be more like you. Point people to you. The church is strong when it represents its king. So I ask, Lord, that we would all come to that place, including me, where we'll stay at that place, be followers of Jesus. That you will shape our character and our culture. That you will show evidence in our lives that we are not you, but we're more like you. What a privilege, Jesus, that we get to walk with you, that we get to follow someone, not something. And if we've been challenged by these truths, may you liberate us not to feel bad, but to get free. And we're so grateful as we've heard about your spirit. You left your spirit with us so we can live this out. It's not a flesh thing. It's a spirit thing, but it requires the flesh to submit to the Spirit. By your grace and your mercy, in the power of the Holy Spirit, for the glory of our King, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.